0: This morning's scripture reading will come from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 43 through 46. If you're using the Red Pew Bible, that is on page 887. The Bible says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. If you didn't already open your Bibles, go ahead and do that to John chapter 1. We're going to begin there in just a moment. Again, it's on page 887 if you've got a Red Pew Bible, one of the Bibles that's, that's maybe in front of you. But we're going to talk about John chapter 1 this morning. You can leave your Bible open to that passage. This evening, Lord willing, we're going to have a singing service. And the singing service is gonna be kind of unique. It's what we did, I don't know, a few months ago where we all met together. Instead of meeting in the auditorium, we met together in the fellowship hall. And so tonight when you come to the building at 5 p.m., come to the fellowship hall. We've got it set up over there. People like the acoustics over there, the way that, you know, if, if you've been in that room, especially with a lot of people, it's almost hard to hear as you're having a lot of conversations. One of the neat things about singing is that we're all saying the same thing together. And so we're going to have a singing service over there. We're going to start first off this evening with uh, offering the Lord's Supper for those who weren't able to partake this morning. And then after that, lots and lots and lots of singing. So bring your singing voice and uh, be ready to be a part of that service this evening, 5 p.m. Again, over in that building, not in this one. Also, this coming Saturday, uh, well, before I say that, two weeks from today, we're going to begin our gospel meeting with Phil Sanders. We've been advertising this in the bulletin. There are some posters and some flyers out in the foyer. Phil Sanders is the regular speaker on uh, the Search for the Lord's Way program, television program. He lives in Oklahoma. Uh, He's going to come, and he's going to be speaking to us a series of lessons on Jesus, our hope, And this is going to be the kind of lesson where you can invite your friends and your neighbors to come and to be a part of our services and uh, want you to be doing that. So with that said, this coming Saturday, there's going to be a canvassing of some neighborhoods nearby. And what we're going to do is just, we've got some flyers to hang on people's doorknobs. We're not knocking on the door and and interrupting them in their Saturday morning routine, whatever they do, but we are going to be hanging some flyers on doorknobs. And so be watching for details of that uh, is... uh, Uh, as this week goes on, but that's going to come this coming Saturday. And I know a lot of you will want to be a part of that as well. If you're not a part of that, if you're not able to be there this coming Saturday, at least, at least think about what we're talking about this morning and think about that gospel meeting, especially starting on September 18th, going through the 21st and uh, think about asking someone to come and to see who Jesus really is. With all that said, let's look at John chapter one together this morning. Every month we have a challenge that relates to evangelism. Two months ago in July, we talked about praying about people that we're concerned about that we know need to hear the gospel. This past month, we've talked about acts of kindness and how being kind and being a light to the world that people may see God's glory in us is a really useful tool when it comes to evangelism and the kindness cards that so many of you were instrumental in uh, distributing throughout the community. There've been some amazing, some wonderful stories that have been shared that I've heard over the last month of ways in which people have tried to reach out to their neighbors and to demonstrate the kindness because of the fact that we love them and we love their souls. This month, the month of September, as you can tell from the screen behind me, the challenge is come and see. We're gonna talk about that this morning from John chapter one beginning in verse 35. I want you to think about the fact that sometimes the very best thing you can do when it comes to evangelism is just to say to somebody, come and see. And that's what happens at least on two occasions here in John chapter one. You'll notice in verse 39, Jesus says to the disciples that are asking him where he's staying. He says, come and see, John 1:39. And then in the past tense it says, they came and they saw where Jesus was staying. And then again in verse 46 that was just read by Glenn a moment ago, when Nathaniel is skeptical, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip just says, come and see. One of the best things that you can ever do when it comes to helping people to know Jesus is to just say the words, come and see. Would you come and be a part of a worship service with me? Would you come and study the Bible with me? Come and see, let's look and open the pages of scripture together and see who Jesus really is. Now, as you look at this passage, John one, beginning in verse 35, all the way down through verse 51, I want you to notice some characteristics of this passage. It is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, number one. Jesus, when he begins his ministry, doesn't begin with a lot of fanfare and trumpets and, you know, marching elephants and all those kinds of things to signal his arrival on earth. Rather, Jesus begins very humbly, very simply, a couple of disciples at a time. That's the way the Lord chose to work in this world. But number two, as you look at the passage, I want you to notice, beginning in verse 35 all the way through verse 51, there are six individuals around Jesus And all of them receive an invitation to come see him. You've got John the baptizer. You've got Andrew and the unnamed disciple in this passage. You've got Andrew's brother, Peter. You've also have in this passage, Philip and Nathaniel. And all of them are invited to come and to see Jesus. And again, as you look at John chapter one, beginning in verse 35, you'll notice as you break the passage down, there are actually six individual conversations that take place. And that's gonna be the focus of our lesson this morning. These six conversations teach us something about how people come to Christ and more importantly, how they come to believe in Jesus Christ. That's a good question to think about as we introduce the study. What makes something plausible or believable to us? It's a question worth thinking about. I don't know if you ever watched the Charlie Brown special. Uh, it comes around every year in October, the, the Great Pumpkin. It's The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. But if you've seen that show, you know that Linus is a believer in this great pumpkin that's gonna come and bring presents to all the sincere kids. And you have to be in the pumpkin patch. And Linus has a whole system of, of organization that he's, that he's developed about this great pumpkin. And nobody believes Linus. Why do people sometimes believe in various ideas? Well, there are three broad areas to consider as we think about John chapter 1 and what it has to teach us. In the first place, there are facts and evidence that help us to believe what it is that we believe, that help us to know that something is true, facts and evidence. In the second place, there might be personal experience. A lot of times people choose to believe because they've felt something or they've experienced something personally. And even when the facts and evidence say otherwise, they still, because of their personal experience, will will say, no, this is believable, this is true. And then third, because of the people around us, because of the community around us, our family, our friends, people that we trust. And so the question I'm asked is what makes a story, what makes a person, what makes a way of living believable or plausible to somebody? It's those three factors. It's the fact that there are facts and evidence, the fact that there is personal experience that's available and the fact that there are people that we trust that say, you know, I believe this and if I believe it and you trust me, then why wouldn't you? And if you go back to my illustration of Linus and the Great Pumpkin, if you've watched that show, Linus makes one convert It's Charlie Brown's little sister, Sally. And she goes out because she's in love with Linus. And she goes out and she spends the evening in the pumpkin patch with Linus. And then she ends up getting mad at him because the great pumpkin never shows up. There's no facts, there's no evidence, there's no experience. But the reason she was there was because she trusted Linus. She thought that he knew what he was talking about. All I'm saying when we come to evangelism, when we come to helping people to understand Linus has this whole system of thought and philosophy that is false and that's kind of the joke. There's no evidence, there's no personal experience but he believes it anyway. When it comes to Jesus Christ, all three of those things are very powerful ways to win souls. Facts and evidence, yes. Personal experience, come and see, yes. And the community and the family and the friends that are around us that say, I found something that is wonderful and that is powerful in Jesus Christ. Come and see, come with me. Come and magnify the Lord with me, Psalm 34 verse three. Those are ways in which people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now look at the six conversations in John chapter one and let's think about these principles as we unpack the particular chapter that we're looking at. John chapter one beginning in verse 35. Notice with every conversation, I'm gonna give you a key word to contemplate. In conversation number one, verses 35 through 37, the key word is proclamation. Why do people believe in Jesus? Because Jesus is preached, because he is proclaimed. And that's exactly what John the Baptist is doing. He's with his two disciples. And in John chapter one, verse 36, when Jesus was walking by, John looks at him and he says, behold, the lamb of God. And the two disciples heard John speak and they followed Jesus. Why did they choose to follow Jesus? Why did they choose to go after him? Because John had the courage and the nobility to preach him. And there are some observations to be made about preaching in and of itself. People need to hear about Jesus. We in our preaching must point to him. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5, Paul says, we do not preach ourselves, but we preach Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves your servants for his sake. People need to be pointed continually to Jesus. He is the answer to the salvation of our sins. He is the one who can provide life and peace and rest and comfort and hope. He's the one that can do all those things. And if we're winning people to anything else besides Jesus, we are not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever we win people with is what we win them to. And that is a critically important point to remember. Whatever it is that people are brought with is what we have to use to keep them. If we're not pointing people to Jesus as John the Baptizer did, then everything else is sinking sand. Whether it's a personality, or whether it's some kind of benefit, whatever it is that we're winning people with, that's what we're winning people to. That's why Christ must be proclaimed. That's why he must be set forth in our evangelistic efforts. And again, people need Jesus, even if they don't yet know it. John the baptizer was preaching about one who would come after him whose sandal strap he's not worthy to loose. John the baptizer is the one that says, he must increase and I must decrease. John chapter three, verse 30. And these two disciples, Andrew and the unnamed disciple, they hear John preaching about Jesus and they have a curiosity that develops and they wanna go see him and they wanna learn more about him. Brothers and sisters and friends, the point for our consideration this morning is we think about inviting people to come see Jesus. Jesus must be presented, he must be proclaimed. And sometimes that even factors into our conversations at school or at work or in our community with our friends and neighbors. Do we ever bring him up? Do we ever do what John the Baptist said and point him out and say, behold, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Is that part of our approach when it comes to helping people learn more about him? Look at conversation number two, verses 38 and 39. The key word is examination. In verses 38 and 39, the two disciples follow after Jesus and Jesus, as he's walking down the road, stops, turns and he sees them following and says, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? Jesus said to them, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. It was about the 10th hour, John tells us. Notice what happens here. Jesus is open and approachable and he is ready for anyone to come and to investigate, to examine him. Who are you teacher? He's open to examination. Look at what takes place. There's an insightful question. When Jesus sees these two men following him, he says, what do you seek? That's a question he's asking you this morning, by the way, what do you seek? What are you looking for with your life? What are you all about? What are you after? Why are you you present in the assembly of God's people? What is it that motivates you to be here this morning? What do you seek? And then there's a polite response. Rather than just launching into their list of questions, and I'm sure Andrew and the unnamed disciple, it's probably John, by the way, the unnamed disciple. Well, whether they, they uh, instead of just launching into their list of questions, they probably had a lot. These two instead say, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus has a gracious invitation. Instead of saying, well, I'm staying two towns over, And if you'll make an appointment for next Thursday, maybe I can squeeze you in. That's not Jesus. He just says, come and see. He is open and available and ready for people to come to him and to examine the evidence about who he is. And the Bible says there is a lengthy interview. The fact that John says it's about the 10th hour, that's about 4 p.m., And the implication is that these two disciples, they go and they basically stay the night with Jesus, talking to him, asking him questions, letting Jesus ask them questions. They have this interaction that takes place. Here's the point when it comes to helping people to see Jesus and to come to faith in Christ. Listen to what I'm about to say. Questions are welcome. When people have sincere and genuine questions, questions are welcome. We want for people to ask questions. Now, sometimes people can ask questions for ulterior motives. Sometimes people can ask questions because instead of trying to sincerely examine who Jesus is, they're trying to cast aspersion on him or they're trying to, trying to somehow prove that he's not really who he says he is. But questions, brothers and sisters and friends, they are welcome. Jesus welcomes those who wants to sincerely examine who he is and look at the evidence objectively. And there have been a lot of people throughout history, it's interesting, you can Google this and look at a lot of cases, a lot of people who have set out in their intellectual pursuits to disprove the Bible and to disprove that Jesus Christ really is the Son of God. A number of people have done that and a number of people in pursuing that have actually come to some sort of faith, some sort of belief that, yeah, I really do believe that Jesus is divine, that He really is the Son of God. One such man said this, I was reading this quote as I was preparing for this lesson. He set out in his youth to try to disprove that Jesus rose from the dead. And he says, after trying to shatter the historicity and validity of the scripture, he says, I came to the conclusion that it is actually historically trustworthy. If one discards the Bible as being unreliable, he says, then one must also discard all literature of antiquity. In other words, what he's saying is living in our day If you decide that you're going to disprove the Bible, then you're just gonna have to say, well, nothing that's ancient, nothing can can be proved or relied upon. There's no facts that we can really know are certain if that's the way we're gonna treat the Bible. And this man came to a place in his life where he accepted and believed that Jesus Christ really is who he claims to be. Examination, questions are welcome. Notice as you look at the passage continuing in verse 40 through 42. Why do people come to believe in Jesus? Proclamation of Jesus, yes. Examination of who he is, looking at the facts and evidence, yes. But also because of personal concern, family concern. It says in verses 40 through 42 that Andrew was one of the two disciples. And it's interesting when you read about Andrew in the Bible, Andrew is always given the uh, parenthetical reference, he's Simon Peter's brother. Every time you read about Andrew, it it tells you that because he's the lesser known of the two brothers. Peter was loud and boisterous and Peter was the man who always was raising his hand first in class. That was Peter's personality, but Andrew wasn't that way. And so when people thought about Andrew, they always feel like in the Bible, they need to give you kind of a frame of reference. This is Simon Peter's brother. And notice what happens. What leads to Peter's discipleship? the personal concern of Peter's family, the fact that his brother loves him and cares about him enough to go and tell him what he's found. Andrew has spent hours upon hours examining Jesus and he goes to Peter and he says, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And then there's this great expression, listen to what it says, and he brought him to Jesus. You know what we're trying to do when we try to reach our neighbors and our friends with the gospel? We are trying to bring them to Jesus. There's nothing better you could do with your life than to spend your life trying to bring people to Jesus. No matter what else you do for your career, no matter what else you do in your school and your education, trying to bring people to Jesus, that is the noblest and the best way to spend our lives. He who wins souls is wise. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. And notice that it starts at home. Notice that Andrew goes to his brother first. We found the Messiah, Andrew, uh, uh, Peter. We found the one that that the Old Testament has been promising for centuries. We have found him. And notice then what Peter does. The Bible says he's brought to Jesus and the scripture says in verse 42. Now, when Jesus looked at Peter, he said, you're Simon, the son of Jonah. But you shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Some translations say, which is translated Peter. The Greek word Petros means a rock or a stone. Notice what happens to Peter. He comes to Jesus and he sees as he listens to Jesus that the Lord has a purpose for him. You're going to be a rock. You're going to be a stone. There's something significant about this man, about Peter. He's going to be one of the 12. He's going to be the one that preaches that great sermon in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. He's going to be the one that later in Acts chapter 4 and verse 5 would say, whether it's right in the sight of men to listen to you, you, you judge, but we cannot but help but speak the things we have seen and heard. He turns into a rock, a man of confidence, a man of conviction, a man upon whom Jesus can depend Jesus makes converts and sometimes it happens because you and I are concerned because we care about our family members. We care about the people that are around us. We love them enough to tell them the truth about who Jesus is. Why do people come to Christ? And you remember that display I gave you about plausibility at the very beginning? Facts and evidence, personal experience, but then also number three, community, the people that we trust. You see all those things happening in this passage, don't you? Notice next, conversation number four. This is what was read just a moment ago. The key word here is purpose. In verse 43, the scripture says the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. By the way, that's a long way from Jerusalem where he was. He wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So now Jesus seeks out Philip. He goes and he he purposely chooses Philip as one of his apostles, one of his 12. Follow me, Philip. It's instructive to stop right now as we think about the purpose, the purpose that Jesus had for Philip and ask the question, what do men find in Jesus? What do people find in Christ? As you look at the passage, you'll notice they find salvation, he is the lamb. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John 1, verse 29. Not only is He the Lamb, He is the one who is a rabbi. We find instruction in Jesus Christ. A lot of people want Jesus to be their Savior. They want the salvation, but they do not want the instruction that comes from Jesus. He is both a Savior and a teacher, the Bible teaches Not only that, but we find transformation. You are Peter, you're you're Simon, but I'm gonna make you into a stone. I'm gonna make you into a rock. I'm gonna change and mold and transform your very character, Peter. And we also find in Jesus motivation. He says to us, follow me. Now, when you think about Philip, we don't know a great deal about Philip from other passages in scripture, but one thing we do know is this. Philip always seems to have second guessed himself. He seems to have had a little bit of a confidence issue. Philip was somebody that was always looking around him to see what everybody else was doing before he was willing to make a decision on whether this was the right course of action for him. That's just Philip and his personality and his nature. And the point I want to make to you this morning is this the men Jesus called and the men Jesus worked with while he was here on earth had vastly different personalities. They had vastly different perspectives on what was good and what was right and what was the best way to live life. But Jesus could use all of these men as they submitted to his instruction and his authority, he could use all of them in a symphony of personalities in order to bring about good and God's plan in this world. Purpose. So, not everybody that Jesus chose was like Peter, proud and confident and ready to stand and tell people what's right and wrong. Not everybody's like Andrew, quietly bringing someone to Jesus, one person at a time. And not everybody's like Philip, somebody with a little bit of a confidence issue, it seems, but somebody who really could be used in powerful ways by Jesus to change the world and to teach his gospel. And, brothers and sisters and friends, when we are evangelists, we ought to keep in mind that the Bible says things like anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, Matthew sixteen twenty four. And again, in the very next verse, Jesus says, whoever, whoever wants to come after me, we must, whoever wants to seek, uh, find his life, shall lose it. Whoever wants to lose his life for my sake, shall find it. Jesus says, anyone, he says, whoever, whosoever will may come. As you look at the passage in John chapter one, this idea of coming and seeing Jesus, notice conversation number five, beginning in verse 45, the key word here is tact. Sometimes we're kind of like a bull in a china shop when it comes to evangelistic approach. Well, I'll tell you what's right and I don't care whether you like it or not. You know, that kind of approach. You ever heard somebody try to do that? There sometimes is a place for that, but listen to me, there is also a place for using tact. The Bible descri- describes this as being gentle and being reasonable. Look at the New Testament, and see how often those concepts come up, being reasonable and gentle in our approach to people who are outside of Christ. Look at what happens in this particular passage. In verse 45, Nathaniel, or excuse me, Philip goes and finds Nathanael, and he says to him, verse forty-five, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. He is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And as soon as Philip mentioned Nazareth, wow, that set Nathaniel off. Nathaniel says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. What's going on here? Watch the approach. Nathaniel has contempt for whatever reason Nathaniel thinks that nothing good comes from Nazareth When I was in high school, our rival in high school, I grew up in a small town in Northeast Texas and our high school rival was the Van Vandals, Van Texas, it's on I-20 up there. And we hated the Van Vandals. I don't know why we hated them, but I just knew that with the school I went to, that's we we didn't like them. And every time we'd have a pep rally and every time we'd play them in football, the, the coach would stand up and he'd talk about those people across the river and nothing good comes from there. And that's kind of a little bit, that was kind of a high school silliness, but that's kind of what happens all over the world in lots of different references. And so here is Nathaniel saying, Nazareth? Nothing good comes from there. And when you think about the way Jesus presents himself to the world, it's amazing. The fact that people had that attitude about Nazareth, and yet the Bible says about Jesus that he shall be called a Nazarene, Matthew 2.23. I'm always fascinated that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and that's where David was from. And that's where the Messiah was gonna come from. And instead of saying Jesus of Bethlehem, he allowed himself to be called Jesus of Nazareth. Isn't that interesting? He was from both places, but Nazareth is where people knew him to be from. And then in John 7, 41 and 42, when they were debating about whether he was really the Christ, the prophets and, I mean, excuse me, the Pharisees and, and others, they said, well, is the Christ from Galilee? Read your Old Testament, read your Bible. He, the Christ doesn't come from a place like Nazareth. That's not where he comes from. And even later on in the book of Acts, when they talked about Christianity and and when they were accusing Paul of being an insurrectionist and sowing discord among the Jews, they called him one of the ringleaders of the Nazarene sect. And there's there's just this contempt that people have for Nazareth. We don't like Nazareth. We don't like people that come from Nazareth. Everybody looks down their nose on people from Nazareth, and that's where Jesus comes from. And Nathanael now has what we call a block in terms of his coming to faith, in terms of his uh, uh, needing to understand who Jesus is. Nathanael now has already made up his mind just when he heard where Jesus is from. And watch what happens. Philip's diplomacy Philip could have launched into a long dissertation about prejudice, about making rash judgments about people based on where they're from, about not judging a book by its cover, but Philip doesn't do any of that. Notice his tact. All he says to Nathaniel is, come and see. And brothers and sisters and friends, can I just humbly suggest that before we get into a long debate with somebody, Sometimes there's a reason for that. And sometimes there's a good thing that comes from that. But before we get into a long debate with somebody, maybe one of the best things we could ever do as evangelists is just say to somebody, come and see. Just come and listen and, and be a part of and, and learn about the community of God's people. There is power in the community in the fact that we can be friends of others and they can come to trust us and we can come to help them to see the facts and the evidence and then the experience of what it means to follow Jesus. And that's exactly what Philip does, come and see. That's what your challenge is this month as well, come and see. Notice conversation number six, verse 47 through 51, that's about Jesus and his interaction with Nathanael. The Bible describes this and, and, and the key word here is greatness. And the reason I say greatness is because everything about this particular section of the scripture points to the greatness of Jesus Christ. And one of the best things we can do as evangelists is to show his greatness, his power, his love, his grace, those things, the greatness that are found in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and Jesus said, behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. The greatness of Jesus is manifested in the fact that Jesus searches hearts and he compliments Nathanael on the condition of his heart. Nathanael is not some kind of snake. He's not duplicitous. He's not some kind of master manipulator. That's not Nathanael. He is an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile, the old King James Version says. Nathaniel is the kind of guy who wants to know the truth and he wants to find the truth and he wants to do what the Bible tells him to do. That's a wonderful heart to have and Jesus compliments him on the condition of his heart. Would to God that there were more people in our society that had hearts like that. An Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. But notice the greatness of Jesus is seen again in verse 47 and the fact that Jesus sees everything. Nathaniel says, "How do you know me?" And Jesus says, "When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nobody knows what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree, but whatever it was, the fact that Jesus says this to Nathaniel, it immediately convinces him, "This guy knows me. He sees everything about me." Proverbs 15 verse three, "The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good." This guy, this this person, Jesus, he sees everything about me. It's amazing. He knows what's in my heart, even before he said a word to me. And he knows what's in your heart too. And he knows all about you and all about where you've been and all about what you've done in places where you think you're in secret. The greatness of Jesus is seen here. And notice what Nathanael says. Look at verse 49. Nathanael says, Rabbi, teacher... You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And I want you just to notice, Jesus has a lot of titles in this chapter, in John chapter one, beginning of the gospel of John. And Jesus never says, oh, wait, 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 hold on. You've gone a bit too far there. You're you're calling me the son of God. You're calling me the king of Israel. You're calling me the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Stop saying those things about me. That's not me. Jesus doesn't do any of that. These people say what they believe about Jesus and Jesus accepts it and then he compliments it. It's amazing to think about the greatness of Jesus. He accepts their acclaim, he accepts their praise. And then Jesus says this in verses 50 and 51. He says in verse 50, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You see what Jesus did was he gave evidence And Philip believed, excuse me, Nathaniel believed based on the evidence that Jesus had given him. You're believing based on this evidence? And then he says, you will see greater things than these. And then verse 51, most assuredly I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. It is a reference, brethren, to the cross. It's a reference to the fact that Jesus made a way for us to come to be with God in heaven. You'll see greater things than these. And when Nathanael saw later in his life what Jesus would do at the cross, greater things indeed. When Jesus saw, or when Nathanael saw Jesus walk on water, when Nathanael saw Jesus heal the sick and cause the blind to see, greater things than these. And the point for our consideration is Jesus promises greater things to come, even to us. Do you believe Do you accept the evidence and do you accept in your own experience that as you follow Jesus Christ that his way truly is the right way? It truly is the way that God wants us to walk and do you have kind of a community around you? People that are saying, come and see. People that you trust, people that you believe in. I believe that this person cares about me and they care about what's best for me. Those are the reasons why people come to faith in Christ in the first place. And then Jesus in his greatness says, you'll see greater things than these. Come and see. As you look at these six conversations and these six very different people that all come into contact with Jesus Christ, it's humbling to stop and think that God has sent a Savior to us. And not only did he send a savior, but the savior was not distant and separate from us, but rather he came right into our world and he walked where we walk and he lived how we live and he knows what we're going through and he allows us to come to him and he's approachable. Come and see. In our message as the people of God in this place, in Katy, Texas in 2022, to our neighbors and our friends around us, come and see the one who told us all the things we've ever done. You need Jesus in your life as well. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not a New Testament Christian. You need to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Obedience to the gospel means that you believe. So we've been talking about this morning, how do people come to believe? But not only must you believe in Jesus, you must repent of your sin and confess that he is the son of God and you must be baptized. When someone is baptized, they come into a relationship, a covenant relationship with our God through Jesus Christ. And maybe you need to respond and put on Christ in baptism this morning, or perhaps you need to respond because you'd like to ask for prayers. Whatever your need is, won't you make your way down the aisle while together we stand and while we sing?